Welcome back to another Yuletide episode of Anime Was Not a Mistake. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, joined here as always by... <laughs> uh, Dan Ryan. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it, were two other people here? <laughs> well, two other people were. Yeah. I, we're going to provide a little bit of context. Yeah. And this is, not to, this is not to name and shame our uh, our compatriots who, who were unable to, 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 to follow us yeah. this far. You see, Dan uh, and I are both insomniacs. <laughs> yes. We don't sleep. We, we don't. And um, we recorded the previous part of the Christmas special this evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, one you know, the, the sum total of those episodes added up to like two hours yeah. or two and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks in part to, to Mad Monster Party. Yes. Which I, I think was, was just a well of content mm-hmm. that we might have to revisit someday to, to you know truly dissect put a microscope over but in some ways we 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 shattered our arm punching god yeah we did and i i think that's gonna be my cross to bear in going forward i'm really sorry i suggested mad monster party i mean oh. going back i mean it was worth it in the end it was I, worth it i think that episode is going to be truly beautiful as i edit it tonight because yes i do edit the christmas episodes in particular because there's a lot more variables and stuff mm-hmm. we thank gabe and grant as always we welcome back next year but as i said last year when i got a little bit too tipsy you live and you learn with these things yeah so so Again, by the laws of equivalent exchange, we got Mad Monster Party, but we we, <laughs> we, we lost, lost Citizen Kane. Yeah. So. <laughs> so this is just turning into a Dan and I solo episode, and you know those are some of the best episodes because they're the majority of the episodes. Yeah, and it's it's again you 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 poured a lot into this, and it is Citizen Kane. Yeah. So uh, this was probably one of our earliest film larfs mm-hmm. um, but do bear with us it is late yeah. uh, but but still i we we wanted to try to do due due diligence <laughs> yeah uh because this was uh this was a film class favorite yeah from high school it's one of the first so. films that got me into cinema in fact so it's a big deal in my books and it's a big deal in a lot of people's books mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to uh, we famously had a teacher who when we watched this the first time we went through it and they would pause it occasionally mm-hmm. to talk over, you're like, okay, you're you're someone in, how ancient are we? You're someone in 2009, <laughs> yeah. perhaps, who was watching this movie, and it's considered the greatest movie of all time, or one of the greatest mm-hmm. movies of all time. And a modern audience, you know, you might be thinking to yourself, why? Um, and even if it doesn't stand out to you today, there's a lot of... And correct me if I'm wrong, technical mm-hmm. things... Oh, there are. I have many to mention. ...that were innovative, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of... Now you don't even notice them no. when they're done. No. So. And it's such an old movie nowadays. It still ranks very highly on a lot of film critics' lists around the world. It's uh, quoted as one of the most inspirational films mm-hmm. for new filmmakers to make a movie. Yeah. And that's partly due to the technique, Orson Welles, and, you know, story in general. So I thought it would be uh, a special moment to shine a light on. Yeah. Quite frankly, it does look newer yeah. than a lot of films that were around the same time or mm-hmm. came after it. Could be that 4K, too. Could be the 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I do remember getting that vibe when we watched this way back in the day, and when it's come on TV occasionally. It's it's one of those things where you you could believe that maybe this was a more recent movie filmed in black and white, perhaps, save mm-hmm. for like a few... You know, if you if you if you put a magnifying glass to it, mm-hmm. you might get that vibe. Yeah, yeah, and I I mean it's, it's just a big one. It's clean is yeah. what I is what I mean. It it it's doesn't clean. you're not you're not noticing any graininess to it. You're not like 
it, uh, yeah, again, it, it feels like this movie innovated a lot, and then maybe other filmmakers caught up to it, mm. and, you know, now it's, it's, it's common stuff, but there was probably a certain learning period. Yeah, yeah, so without further ado, shall we get into the drawing board today? Mm-hmm. I brought him out, Dan. He wasn't here last time. He was in bite-sized pieces during our Rankin-Bast episode, but today the drawing board is decked out, and he's got newspaper plastered all over him. He does. It is the March on Anime Was Not a Mistake, drawing mm-hmm. board edition for tonight. So it's a lot of notes, but I did spear kind of like, you know, streamline it from mm-hmm. last year's as well. So bear with me, and please feel free to interrupt me if something intrigues you or interests mm-hmm. you. So Citizen Kane is a 1941 American drama film produced by, directed by, and starring Orson Welles. He also co-wrote the screenplay with Herman J. Mankiewicz. It is frequently cited as the best film ever made and the most influential film ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quasi-biographical film examines the life and legacy of Charles Foster Kane, played by Welles, a composite character based on American media barons, William Randolph Hearst, and Joseph Pulitzer, mm-hmm. uh, Chicago tycoon Samuel Insull, and Harold McCormick, as well as aspects as the screenwriter's own lives. Uh, lots of controversy therein. This is one of the most controversial films of all time as well. Yeah, in its day, it started some shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we do on this podcast. Of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love to sling the shit. Uh, Orson Welles was a wonder kid, uh, noted for the time for his work at his repertory theater company, the Mercury Theater, where he broke theatrical conventions of the time period with political, social, and artistic ideas, all of the world, the world's uh, war, war of the world's radio broadcasts, and an all-black production of Macbeth, just to name a few major productions that I've heard about throughout my life and mm-hmm. stuff. And, you know, even that production of Macbeth and just his theater in general is like in every theater textbook that I've ever read before mm-hmm. uh, about American theater happening during that time period. So he was big on stage. Yeah. And it's lucky that we got him to translate some of his talent to the screen, because this is an extremely theatrical film, Mm -hmm. and that's partly why I love it. Uh, The big wigs in Hollywood took notice of Wells, and he signed a contract with RKO in 1939. Uh, One one thing to add in terms of it being theatrical, when you sit down to watch this film with a lot of the grandiose sets... They're they're going to look larger than life. Yeah, they're going. You're going to sit there and you're going to be looking. This is almost like cartoonish proportions here. This is like, like a comic book. Like I, I don't I don't know what to compare it to, but it's like it is very comic book. It's stylized. Yeah, it's it's very stylized. It's very like this brutalist like mm-hmm. gigantic columns and windows and walls and stuff. And it will you know, in that sense, it's certainly like we're getting like a lens into what the characters are doing like on a stage here so yeah. all right so very theatrical uh the big wigs in hollywood took notice of wells as i said before this was his first film outing and he was giving full reign of the production uh his contract stipulated that wells would act in direct and produce and write two films for rko uh the executives would not be allowed to see any of the footage until wells chose to show it to them and no cuts would be made to either film without wells's approval so pulled a miyazaki with princess mononoke yes. no cuts at all and that was very out of the time period that the studio would have no say for the finished product until Wells did. Yeah, that was... Hollywood went through, like, these weird cycles where, I, at this time period, that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't... And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but that was, like... That was, like, the boom and bust with, like, the new Hollywood shit that happened eventually, where, mm-hmm. like, they gave uh, auteurs, like, the ability to do whatever they want, and yeah. then it, it ended up being too costly a few mm-hmm. times, and then we got and, the... Hol- like, the... Yeah. The, the big budget 
like popcorn movie mm-hmm. thing. So, and this is no different as well. Uh, Wells was allowed to develop the story without interference, select his own cast and crew, mostly of his own Mercury players, and have the right of the final cut. Granting final cut privilege was unprecedented for a studio since it placed artistic consideration over financial investment. The contract was deeply resented in the film industry, and the Hollywood press took every opportunity to mark RKO and both Wells for signing it as well. So it was a, a no-no in that yeah. time period as well. Uh, Wells originally intended to make his first film a previous adaptation, A Heart of Darkness, uh, filmed entirely through a first-person camera, unheard of at the time. So he always had... He basically learned about film while making this film, which I'll get into later, but he had big ideas that, you know, are modern-day things, to take a first-person camera and film an entire film with it. Feels that. like he integrates that into mm-hmm. into the character because yeah. the character buys a newspaper for fun, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, I don't know how to run a newspaper. I'm mm-hmm. gonna I'm gonna figure it out today." Yeah. So, uh, but Wells couldn't shape the budget with war looming, so Kane became an idea tossed around as to not waste the year of filming. So that was his second idea that he just shot out. He said, "I have a studio. I have this. I have the money." Let's shoot a film. Well, we know how the eventual attempt to to film Heart of Darkness mm-hmm. how that. That stress played yeah. on to those, that filmmaker, so mm-hmm. we're gonna consider that a win, I guess? Uh, one of the long-standing controversies about Citizen Kane has been the authorship of the screenplay. Wells conceived the project with screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz, who was writing radio plays for Wells. Uh, Mankiewicz based the original outline on the life of William Randolph Hearst, whom he knew socially and came to hate after being exiled from Hearst's castle. Uh, in February 1940, Wells supplies Mankiewicz with 300 pages of notes and put him under contract to write the first draft of the screenplay under the supervision of John Houseman, Wells's former partner in the Mercury Theater. Uh, taking these drafts, Wells drastically condensed and rearranged them, then added scenes of his own. The industry accused Wells of underplaying Mankiewicz's contribution to the film. Uh, Mankiewicz received no writing credit in the original contract, but after a lot of drama was credited after protesting with the Screenwriters Guild. Really ruined his relationship with Wells for the rest of his life, aka Watch Mank, if you ever see it. It's on Netflix. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A black and white kind of in this style movie about Mankiewicz writing this film <laughs> for Wells. Okay, I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, the film represents the feature film debut of William Allen, Ray Collins, Joseph Cotton, Agnes Moorhead, uh, Erskine Sanford, Everett Sloan, Paul Stewart, and Wells himself. Despite never having appeared in feature films, some of the cast members were already well known to the public. Uh, Joseph Cotton had recently become a Broadway star in the hit play The Philadelphia Story with Katherine Hepburn. Also, a mini hush hush reunion with both Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead, who was, of course, <laughs> yeah. the crazy lady on the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wells learned about the techniques in movie making on the fly while filming his production. Advisor Miriam uh, Geiger and cinematographer Greg Tallin helped him out, watching Stagecoach tons of times and adjusting or merging his theatrical knowledge to a new medium. So he would go home every night after filming and just watch Stagecoach, which is like an old Western kind mm-hmm. of sort of thing. And he would just be like, oh, how did they do that? How did they do that with his two advisors on this film? And then he would take that knowledge and just apply it on the fly. I have seen Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. It does make sense in its own way. Like, yeah. like y- you take like a minimalist setup and you see how dynamic you can get it. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. I, 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 
I would need people listening to to maybe check some of that out and yeah. make their own comparison. But you can, I, I think you can see how that connects to this. And I think I could do this with Suspiria. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. never made a movie, but I've seen Suspiria a thousand yeah. different times. I can make something like that, I suppose. Um, Citizen Kane was edited by Robert Wise, known for West Side Story, and assistant editor Mark Robson, Value of the Dolls. Just thought I would mention most involved with this film went on uh, to lauded Hollywood careers. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just Wells himself that prospered from this film. Um, Noted for fluidity, editing together the time shifts and different perspectives of the film that didn't really occur back then, that this film isn't told in a linear order. Yes. Um, uh, the theatrical trailer for Citizen Kane differs from other trailers in that it did not feature a single second of footage of the actual film itself, but acts as a wholly original tongue-in-cheek pseudo-documentary piece of the film's production. Very cool, in my opinion. So even then, they were taking trailers and spinning them on their head. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And I, it's weirdly fitting, considering we got that court case this past week mm-hmm. where you're not allowed to make deceptive or oh, yeah, trailers that's right. anymore. Yeah. I hate it so much. Yeah. It is, but that's part of the love of cinema. Like, I don't get that. I, I can't lie. You don't want to spoil. I mean, I know. I don't. I don't like it either. You no, know, it's well. No, no, no. It's it's not a it's not a matter of lying. It's mm. just like you 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 misdirect yeah. in order to. Uh, well, we look at the Nope trailer recently, where that did a great job of not spoiling yeah. anything. And that's like you won't be able to do that mm. in theory anymore. It's uh, neither here nor there. It's just weirdly provincial i guess yeah. uh, citizen kane also broke boundaries through its filming techniques wells also used deep focus where elements in the foreground and background are all in sharp focus at differing times uh, another unorthodox method used in the film was the low angle shots facing upwards thus allowing ceilings to be shown in the background of several scenes every set was built with a ceiling which broke with studio convention and many were constructed of fabric and concealed microphones thanks to perry ferguson the film's art director many special effects supervised by vernon l walker including the use of miniatures, rear screen projection, and the aforementioned deep focus changed the game in film. So these are all things that we see in commonplace and movies that we love. I think of back to like Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, where he had all the miniatures and stuff, and that was his love of the film. Yeah. We don't know if those techniques would exist in the same way or even at all without this. Yeah, it, and it's... I, I for, Well, for one thing, the ceiling is a huge part of it, yeah. because that's going to be... In one shot, you're going to see the ceiling because it's like that space is maybe earlier in Kane's life. It's like more, he's like with people, Mm -hmm. so the space is more compressed, it's tighter, maybe more stressful, and then that'll move to later in his life when you have the giant-ass castle and you can't see the ceiling anymore. No. And it's yeah. it, it I it, it's it's part of the story itself, kind of. Yeah, and I just like I said, it's very theatrical. It's like you're watching a stage show instead of a show in the theaters and it's blending that convention because there's nothing i love more than seeing like a direct stage adaption brought to screen in an effective way because it's hard to film theater but when it's done right then you get it it's like oh this is living in the moment and i would say i would say in terms of that stuff it builds because you get like a lot of uh, maybe you would call them more conventional settings and then it feels like when you get to Bernstein's office the first time, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is this is a little stylized. This mm-hmm. is like a big corner office with gigantic windows in the city in the distance. And then by the end of the movie, when you're at Xanadu and everything, there's like scenery layered in such a chaotic and like confusing fashion that you can't tell where mm-hmm. most of the people are. Mm-hmm. 
Like, your eye is directed to a spot because they're talking in, like, a tent, and you can see the tent illuminated, yeah. Yeah. but there's, like, seven layers of brush, and then party guests, lights, mm -hmm. the and, tent... And everything's background. going on. There's a lot yeah. of things to concentrate on at the same time. Yeah. Action is occurring simultaneously as the main action that we're meant to see. Yeah. Uh, Citizen Kane's sound was recorded by Bailey Failsler and re-recorded in post-production by audio engineer James G. Stewart, both of whom had worked in radio. The film proved challenging with audio montages and overlapping voices, which Wells' intent were to occur naturally for the audience so he wanted more realism here that people talk at the same time over one another mm -hmm. sometimes you don't exactly get what everyone is saying at the same time yeah. but in the mix you know the main thing needs to be heard and you can and, and because of that i would say like on repeat viewings you might notice people making like jabs and jokes yeah. and shit that yeah. you wouldn't have picked up yeah. on because you were listening to something else like so. there's that one where he's going out with susan and uh, the inquirer reporter's like mr kane i'm from the inquirer like yeah. he has to talk over the crowd and then like they all focus on him and then yeah. laugh uh, laugh about it like yeah. oh well you're here for me anyway um, the aging makeup on Wells and the story of makeup, uh, the story of the makeup artist uh, Maurice Siderman are enough to make their own movie in their own. In my research, it was a long process. Uh, Siderman actually like worked his way up through RKO as like a page to become this, and like they had a really close relationship because Wells was in the makeup studio or the makeup chair for a long part of that day, mm -hmm. getting into makeup. And I, I just thought it was a very good read and I encourage people to like look up Maurice's story. And I don't know why there hasn't been like a film kind of in that retrospective where we get like a makeup artist working on an actor during that. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a really interesting principle to to do it on. Yeah, like The Grinch. <laughs> that would be an angry movie. <laughs> a mad movie. Uh, the film's music was composed by Bernard Herman. Herman had composed for Wells for his Mercury Theater radio broadcast. Because it was Herman's first motion picture score, Arkeo wanted to pay him only a small fee, but Wells insisted he be paid at the same rate as Max Steiner, who had then was one of the biggest... Hollywood composers mm -hmm. of the time period. Uh, the score established Herman as an important new composer of film soundtracks, and a constant score was the the direction that he wanted to go into, more like a radio play. So mm -hmm. it's always playing in the background during times. There's not really any quiet moments, and when there are quiet moments, it's for effect. Yes. Um, tons of drama before the film even released. There is this huge story here with one Luella Parsons, the Hollywood correspondent for Hearst Papers. Uh, she was getting dragged by her boss, William Randolph Hearst at the time, to go out and review the films. And she gave Wells and Citizen Kane in particular a very scathing review, uh, ruining her reputation and causing a near RKO lawsuit. And Hearst himself had to ban any mention of the film in his papers. Yeah. Um, also, there was this insane story where one of Hearst's up-and-coming workers hired a 14-year-old girl to hide in Wells's hotel room in order to get photos that would ruin Wells. That I heard that stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, it's real Who Framed Roger Rabbit shit, is what I put down. Um, Hearst also frequently called out Wells and his like as communists, uh, despite Hearst's attempt to destroy the film since 1941 references to his life and career have usually included a reference to Citizen Kane, such as the headline, Son of Citizen Kane dies in the obituary for Hearst's son. And I feel like, because whenever, I, whenever I've looked into this movie, it's one of those things where, again, maybe modern audiences aren't going to get it, but at the time, it would have felt like, okay, this is obviously... This character is obviously making fun of William yeah. Randolph Hearst. Yeah. Like it was a, it was like a one to one, mm -hmm. um, 
critique of him, like yeah. a like a tear down yeah. of him. It would be like the modern day Jeff Bezos, yeah, getting lampooned. Yeah, and I I would assume that nothing on that scale had ever been done like that before, where it's mm. like we're gonna take like a rich and influential person and mm-hmm. we're going to like. Not lampoon them necessarily, yeah, but like but parody like, them or use their life as kind of tent poles for our characters that we create. And I, I think in that position, I mean, we're all human beings. I would want to say that I would take it on the chin. Yeah. But I, I mean, I could also see how it could be offensive to that person because Kane is not portrayed as the best character well, in this. Yeah. No. Not. I mean, not only he's not portrayed as the best, but it's like yeah. you, you, uh, if 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 this fictional portrayal. If people make assumptions about the real person, like, Kane ends up very alone, and he's, like, a stunted, like, Mm man-child, almost, who's, like, longing for the last time he knew happiness, and it's, like, people would be drawing that assumption, and it's, like, you know, Hmm. but... Luckily for Hurst, he has many other uh, things that he, uh, some other shit that he pulled in his life that, uh kind of affect that still, so... Mm-hmm. In 2012, the Hearst estate agreed to screen the film at Hearst Castle in San Simeon, uh, breaking Hearst's ban on the film. So, just kind of recently, a mm-hmm. few years ago, 2012, it took a long time for this to come full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, Citizen Kane opened to critical success, but was a financial failure in its initial release. According to RKO Records, the film cost $839,727, its estimated budget having being uh, $723,000, which I'm sure would still blow up any convention uh, or conversion counters nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem like a lot by today's standard, but... He did go over budget. Yeah. And, I mean, it shows. It's a lavish film. Mm-hmm. A lot of work to be done. A lot of actors. A lot of crowd scenes. And he makes use of that money. But we could see that, unfortunately, at the time of its release, it was a financial failure. Yes. Um, film was mostly lauded on release, but thanks to Hearst's ban on it, um, the image was always tainted of the film. It was widely believed that the film would win most of its Academy Award nominations, but it received only the award for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, Variety reported that block voting by screen extras deprived Citizen Kane of Best, fi- best Picture and Best Actor, and similar prejudices were likely to have been responsible for the film receiving no technical awards. However, once the film was released in Europe, it inspired a whole new wave of film directors and artists to create. Americans aren't as uncultured as we thought was like kind of the mm-hmm. the principle of this like an american made this this is actual film uh, yep. we never expected this <laughs> so cinematique yeah yep. um almost every director you've come across has at some point quoted this film as an influence or has at least seen it mm-hmm. so it's a big deal it is uh in the united states citizen kane was neglected and forgotten until it received or its revival on television in the mid to late 1950s thanks to rko rights uh wells returning to the stage in king lear at the same time and an american film critic andrew saris wrote citizen kane the american baroque for film culture and described it as the great american film and the work that influenced the cinema more profoundly than any american film since the birth of a nation um, in the decades since, its critical status as the greatest film ever made has grown, with numerous essays and books on it, including Peter Cowie's uh, The Cinema of Orson Welles, Ronald Gottsman's Focus on Citizen Kane, a collection of significant reviews and background pieces, and most notably, Cal's essay, Raising Kane, which prompted the value of the film to a much wider audience than it had received before. Uh, despite its criticism of Welles, it further popularized the notion of Citizen Kane as the great American film. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the British magazine Sight and Sound, which make make a pop up in one of our tangents nowadays. Mm-hmm. I have my list ready. I'm just saying, has produced a top ten list serving film critics every decade since 1952, and it is regarded as one of the most respected barometers of critical taste. Citizen Kane was runner up to the top ten in its 1952 poll, but was voted as the greatest film ever made in the 1962 poll, retaining the top spot in every subsequent poll until 2012 when Vertigo displaced it. And I think this year it was like, um, it's not the the Petrovon scent movie. It's like that one with the lady in the apartment. I always forget the name. It's like a large title. It's like a French film. I'll, okay. I'll get, I'll research okay. it. But I know that's currently the number one because I was reading Sight and Sound while I was doing the list just mm-hmm. to see how things ranked. Uh, Roger Ebert, AFI, Time, Motion Pictures Guild, BBC, and many, many more constant top ten in their list, if not number one. Mm-hmm. So I remember when we were in film class... It was always like, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane, Citizen Kane. And I want to talk about that, mm-hmm. because in approaching this film, uh, it, it, part of the reason, again, it's one of the one of the first films that, like, got us into to movies, um, you know, but... Over the weekend, mm-hmm. one of the, one of the other things that I watched uh, with, uh, with my dad was, was uh, the Moby Dick movie... Mm-hmm. Uh, that was starring um, Gregory Peck. Okay, and then in the I haven't seen, that, but I need to. Excellent movie. Mm-hmm. I sincerely recommend that to everyone. And obviously, uh, Moby Dick, you know, the novel that is the basis for that, is probably like dreaded reading for mm-hmm. a lot of like elementary and middle school students. And it's like, okay, this was this was something considered one of the greatest American novels. It came out when it when it first, you know, was published. It did not sell well. Uh, I, I believe Herman Melville, you know, his career kind of took a downward trajectory from that point, and it wasn't until later on that Moby Dick kind of got recognized as being what it is. Uh, but it's still one of those things where if you go into it and you tell people to read it, um, kind of similar to watching Citizen Kane, it's like, are you, are you doing that just for... Is it like a prestige thing? Are you really enjoying it? Is is you know, is this and that? And, and I would say that if you like movies, even casually, then at least to check this out. Yes. Not not to go into it saying that you know it's it's going to be transformative or it's going to be your favorite movie of all time, you know. But from a technical standpoint, at the very least, it's like an interesting thing to go back and look at because yeah. it's. I I don't know. There's like there's like weird paths that some of these great. American works share with mm-hmm. each other where it's like they, you know, unnoticed resurgence baseline yeah. common yeah. The, the, all of this stuff is now everywhere what do you do with it mm-hmm. so yeah but at least check it out for those merits mm-hmm. uh, lastly in April 2021 it was noted that the addition of an 80 year old negative review from the Chicago Tribune reduced the film's rating from 100% to 99% on the site <laughs> which Matt Cabrera made sure we all knew mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was a big deal uh, Citizen, it gave Paddington to the, the, the chance to eclipse it which I can't argue with yeah. I can't, you, yeah. you recommended that and I uh... Yeah. It's, it's like that Danny DeVito gif. I was sitting there crying. Yeah. <laughs> on Metacritic, however, the film still has a rare weighted average score of 100 out of 100 based on 19 critics, indicating universal acclaim. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think it's a perfect movie, I think it's done so much for film that it deserves that 100. Yeah. Yeah. 
again, that's that's what I'm trying to get at. It's it's the what is it? The, the Seinfeld is unfunny trope. Like you sit down and you watch something that like started a lot of stuff, and you got to put yourself in the mind of a 1940s person who's mm-hmm. like, holy shit! <laughs> like sitting down and you your monocle falls out, <laughs> your top hat oh goes, yeah. <laughs> it's your mustache, cor- it, you know, and then you just you, you gotta excuse yourself to mm-hmm. the powder room. It's, yeah. it's what happens. Yeah. So. so why this film? You know, it's a, it's a pinnacle of cinema. It's something that bonded us together in that film class. As dumb as it is, and partly, you know, we're playing into the hype on this podcast. Yeah. It's a big movie. It's yeah. a big one to do. And I love to ca- uh, conquer the greats on mm-hmm. this one. Um, I don't know if we'll ever get to Gone with the Wind. That's definitely... If Grant's in the room, we need well, him there. Well, we have a lot of greats to conquer yeah. at the at the interval we do when we're not watching anime. Yeah, uh, it's an but, anime podcast. But we our, have our tenants. Our our brand is our brand is our brand will expand. Hopefully, yeah, we're reaching uh, out. We're but putting uh, our fingers in every pie. But yeah, it, 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 again, it's one of the reasons why we can't not do Citizen Kane. Right. So. And with that, my uh, drawing board notes have concluded. Uh, we could tuck him away. The news, uh, the march on anime was not a mistake. Currently ends. Compared to his godlike status last week, he's not looking so. He's looking elderly, if anything. I'm looking a little ragged there. I, I don't think he he has much of you know of meaning left in him. And what's he got in his hand there? A, a, an amiibo. <laughs> a pit amiibo. A pit amiibo. Huh. What could it mean? I, I hope that his fortune has brought him some happiness, yeah. but I don't think it is. We'll never know. Well, he'll be back at Orin High School Host Club soon <laughs> anyway, I'm sure. Uh, so let's get into the plot, shall we? Feel free to interrupt me and chime in. I love to hear your opinions on these things, and uh, I wrote this one myself, so... <laughs> uh, uh, we open on the abandoned, lavish estate of Xanadu in Florida, which, if I'm going to build a lavish estate, I don't think I'm going to build it in Florida, but... That's a rewatch bonus. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that I never thought of when I was watching this for the first time, is that when this movie was co- came out, you know, um, oh god, what was it? Because they didn't, they didn't get Disney World going in Florida oh, until yeah. like the yeah. 60s or 70s, like the, the project until it eventually mm-hmm. opened in the 80s. So, there's like a line where Susan is like, um... We're not near anything, we're not near clubs, we're not near a city, we're mm-hmm. not near... Like, we have to bring people out as tourists. Mm-hmm. And that's probably because if if Kane was, like, spending too much, the only place he could build a castle would have been Florida yeah. in the 1940s. Yeah, and I like, know from, like, a lot of older musicals and stuff, like, before Disney was a thing, people would try to build casinos out there, yeah. and uh, it never really prospered because the land was so shit. Yeah, but it's interesting that they even predicted that that land would be put to use kind of in a consumerist way. It, and it's a very freaky, like, because it predates the whole Disney World project by a long time, but it's like, again, it's one of those things where you watch this a second time, it's like, okay, that's... If he's like, if he wants to build a giant-ass castle, he can't afford land in, like, New York or California to do that. Mm. So he's, he's got to build it in Florida yeah. at the time, yeah. which would not have been, you know, prime real estate. So mm-hmm. it's interesting because that's that's already when his fall is starting. So yeah. Well, living here is the aged Charles Foster Kane, and he drops the snow globe and utters the single word, Rosebud, before dying, serving Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As he does so. And his nurse comes in and is frazzled. And thus the news takes the world by storm. We get news on the march, an iconic scene which shows us 
the events of Kane's life, but through the lens of just a viewer. Yeah, so we don't the really, public. We, we don't get any details. We get it fast 40. He seems like a great, powerful man that did some bad in his life, but more good. And he was just incredibly popular, incredibly rich, but also mysterious. No one really knew about his personal life. No, it is literally a puff piece. It's like, it covers the major points, but then it's like, oh, he was sort of controversial, and he, he had his fanoodling here and there. <laughs> But ultimately, did more people love him than hated him? You just like in it. It's it famously ends with the the end thing, mm-hmm. beginning the film. Yep. So uh, the Indiana Jones treasure trove that is all of Kane's possessions is examined. Uh, the biggest private zoo since Noah. Mm-hmm. He's got money. He's got everything that you could ask for, and it's towing the line of being a bit too garish. I would say. <laughs> Yes. It's a little bit extravagant. Every paper makes this death, uh, makes his death the front page news. The world over, Kane is hailed as the greatest newspaper tycoon of this generation slash all time before expanding into basically everything that he can get his hands into. So he had humble beginnings, even though that's wrapped in mystery as well. well yeah, because we only, get, we only get a small snippet of that in the news on the March thing was that he was the heir to some like a a mine that was thought to have been stripped Mm -hmm. uh and then it turned out to actually have something in it so through chance he ends up like the legal heir to this mine that is suddenly booming Mm -hmm. as a child yep uh, Walter P. Thatcher has been Kane's trustee forever, and the media is hounding anyone they can get for more details on Kane's life. Uh, Kane has been accused of being a communist, a fascist, and to some, just one of the true great Americans. So mm-hmm. political opinion is divided on him. Yeah, um, you're either for Kane or against Kane, but everyone's got an opinion on him. Uh, Kane was a figurehead in politics and the public eye, yet he never was elected into office. Yeah. Which was an interesting turn of events too, because he seems like he would be a perfect fit there. And it does it does that does mirror a lot of like huge industrialist people who mm. surprisingly never threw their tossed their hat into that ring. But mm-hmm. we with Kane it it's it makes sense. And however, like most, he was ruined by a scandal for noodling with yes. another woman. <laughs> and then it's briefly mentioned he was married twice, he was divorced twice, he had a son and his wife Emily that die off screen. Yeah. They get in a car crash and they both die. So we don't know if it's the same night that they leave later on or somewhere adjacent to that, but it happens. Yeah, I, I would I would have to assume it's it's in the point where he's already married to, mm. to Susan or after that starts because it um but it is it is glossed over, and it's probably glossed over because the news reporter isn't worried about it. And she's also one of the former president's daughter or niece. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, maybe it's hush hush too. Like they yeah. want to keep any of the bad press out. No, uh, that's that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable. Um, Susan, his second wife, had in her opera career. Oh, we will get into that. <laughs> that's one of my favorite parts of this movie. Is oh, young Susan Kane, <laughs> um, but there's that uh, leaving Xanadu unfinished. So his pleasure palace hasn't been done, even in the wake of his death. Uh, Kane went through a tough time in the depression, but he was still a celebrity. He was like always giving like a witticism to the press or mm-hmm. a comment about the American populace because despite all the Kane's things, he seems like he was definitely for like the initially for the poor man, the man that was pulling himself up by the bootstraps. 
he at first yeah, and then, but then he changes he loses himself because his his friend uh, leland calls him out on that mm-hmm. like leland falls more on like uh like a a socialist mm-hmm. standpoint and kane seems to be like i'm going to give these people their labor rights mm-hmm. not that they've yeah. earned them or yeah. deserve them yeah. so Make uh, of that what you will. So Kane died alone in his pleasure palace in mystery. Watching the newsreel in perfect lighting or some journalist looking for a scoop. Uh, the newsreel's producer tasked reporter Jerry Thompson with discovering the meaning of Rosebud. Uh, interview the people he knew and get to the bottom of it. And mm-hmm. he does so. And he does so quickly. Yes. Um, he must be paid well. Uh, off to the sleazy Atlantic City to interview the faded, jaded Susan Alexander Kane. Working in a dive bar in AC. <laughs> Yeah, singing her song is a booze house right is the, what, the is the name of the club Rancho Coronado yeah because that's that's a cyberpunk district too there right there we go mm. yeah cyberpunk another thing that inspired so much deeper than we ever gave it credit <laughs> for <laughs> a, a, yeah. a, a gem that'll be revisited in time I'm forever sure. and ever <laughs> truly that's the cane of our generation wouldn't you say huh. truly <laughs> Uh, but Susan's a wreck after Kane's death. She's drinking and she's refusing to talk to anyone. My insert character, uh, Thompson, is shooed away. And initially we're like, oh, he's not going to talk to Susan. She seems kind of distraught, but she does come back later and comes around. So maybe she yeah. just needed some time and space. And there was also like the, the one maitre d' at the, at the yeah. lounge she was at. Like, oh yeah, she's uh, upset now. She's grieving, yeah. But she's been, like, telling, spilling all of this to me in between, like, shows and stuff, so she'll talk eventually. Mm-hmm. So in this time, Thatcher has died as well because he has a whole Thatcher Memorial Library Yes, in his, in Philadelphia that is run by, like, this woman that's like, hmm, you're here for doing what? You're gonna read his memoirs? You're only allowed to read these ten pages, and that's it. Uh, well, this is, like, very much a part where, like, the brutalism thing comes mm-hmm. in, because, like, the Thatcher Memorial Library is a giant statue of him, yeah. gigantic walls, gigantic facade, mm-hmm. and then Thompson... A little book on a, on a big table. A, a little, a little book, huge table, a gigantic wall with, like, one safe in it that mm-hmm. keeps the book, and then that's what he's allowed to see. Yeah. And we got the spotlight shining down on it. You mentioned to Gabe that this was the first time light was used in a movie. <laughs> I mentioned to Gabe a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> um, some private time with the manuscript is what uh, Jerry has to himself, and we get flashback to the humble beginnings in Colorado of Kane in 1871. Kane's mother Mary gets some gold from a mining deed and hires Thatcher to create a trust with the profits to provide for Kane. Uh, this was a happier time with Charles playing in the snow, living his child innocence to a T. And to and to put this, I uh, I I guess, because this was one of the things that I never stood understood the original times. Mm-hmm. They they, Kane's mother owned a boarding house, mm-hmm. and at one point, I guess like a drunkard who was passing through, uh, or some like another like sleazy, you know, not well respected businessman, paid her using shares of a mm. of a of a dead mine mm. pretty much of like a mine that was was stripped, empty yeah. um Presumed and he he only like because she was the manager of the boarding house he only put the shares in her name and not in Kane's dad's <laughs> mm-hmm. name uh, cuz it was just like a stupid like I'm giving you these penny shares to like you know settle my debt and then obviously that ends up like that's why <laughs> 
Kane's mother is able to make this deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kane's Mary gets some gold from the mining deeds in higher stature to create a trust, as I said, a happier time. Mary has all the control thanks to the deed, but Charles's father is against it. The bank will be in charge of Kane's life until he comes of age, selling their son and their gold away for a better life or opportunity for their son. And $100,000, I think they get mm-hmm. from this. Um, and I have to ask you, like, what do you think of that decision? Do you think she was wrong? Do you think she was right? It's hard for us to judge as <laughs> men. <laughs> um, Not in this time period, but... Well, I would also say it's impossible to judge in the context of this scene because we also get we get a snippet from the mom that the dad might, might be abusive, yeah. but we don't know. We only ever see the tiny little snippet that of can be gathered like from... Suggesting that he's like, oh, you're talking back. I'm like, going to whoop you. And he's like, that's why I'm sending him away. Mm-hmm. But we don't... We only get... The, I guess the narrow perspective that the guy reading the diary would get. Mm-hmm. I think she intended good, mm-hmm. but, you know, those intent didn't really come out as well as she liked. Yeah. And I think she could have still been a, somehow a part of her kid's life, even though they took the $100,000 settlement. Like, there, there's something there, too, that doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I have to assume that that's part of, like, the businessmen, like, Thatcher mm-hmm. doing this were unscrupulous enough to, like... Because I'm assuming the whole deal is that, okay, this guy through, you know, this kid through this mine is going to come into, they keep referencing that he'll be like the 10th, even at that age, he'll be like the 10th wealthiest person in the world or something. So Mm -hmm. it's like, or in the country, and then we'll, you know, so we have to manage that accordingly. Um, But they probably pulled something where it's like, oh, we can't let you see him. And then by the time, I'm assuming the, the mom probably died before he yeah even that could have happened age, too so. yeah maybe they really just didn't they lost touch and she died early um so charles already hates thatcher and assaults him lately with his sleigh time goes by quickly in a montage like different christmases him being raised by thatcher mm-hmm. um him towering like thatcher towering over him yes the christmas tree him doing like the the little look up surrounded by bankers and staff mm-hmm. it's very like series of unfortunate events it is yeah <laughs> Like, poor little Kane. Yeah, because it goes from, like, the, the, the cozy winter cabin to, like, a sterile mm-hmm. New York apartment Christmas with, like, obviously Thatcher's towering over him. There's, like, a big gigantic tree, like, casting a shadow over mm-hmm. everything. And it's, like, he gets, like, a new sleigh that's, like, a radio flyer, a sled that's, like, a radio flyer. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, ugh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the same. Uh, but time goes by until Kane is 25. He is now independent and in possession of the world's sixth largest fortune. Kane shows no interest in any of Thatcher's ploys except for buying out the New York Inquirer. I think it would be fun to run a newspaper. Mm-hmm. I think it would be fun to make a video game. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, Kane bashes Thatcher in the paper, reporting on scandal and yellow journalism fake news. So he takes this and kind of goes for the, the, the lowest common denominator, the lowest hanging fruit, and is like, oh, I'm going to make it a gossip rag. And it, it was another, like, I like prescient thing where he he says something like, give me the, the like, if you give me the, the dramatic prose, I'll <laughs> give you a war. Mm-hmm. And that, that ended up, I, that's been, like, echoed by other people throughout. Like, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure, um, uh, who was the guy who came after Kennedy? I don't know. That's the wrong person. Johnson, I think, mm-hmm. said that. He was like, you give me this, I'll give you the war you need so mm. it's it's like that has been weirdly 
I, I don't know, like weird premonition of yeah. things. So, yeah. uh, Mr. Bernstein and a young fly, Charles Foster Kane, are, are working together, trying to plot their lives together. Kane is not afraid to fight the people he supports with his own money. Uh, for decent, hardworking people, initially he is. Uh, with all our holiday meetup movies, have a bank trust loan storyline. Mm-hmm. I mean, that might be something to look forward to in the future. Are mm-hmm. we all like connected to banks? Because what was last year? The bank was foreclosing on. It's a Wonderful Life family. Uh, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Just wanted to mention that. <laughs> like, a lot of, like, old, evil, bald guys. Yeah. In like, banks. Oh, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah like that, so. Uh, 1929, Kane is out of cash. He sells the paper to Thatcher. If I hadn't have been rich, I would have been a great man. Thatcher isn't Rosebud, is the revolution there. So it's it's swapping through the timelines. Uh, we're seeing, like, past, present, and future. Mm-hmm. of Kane's life. Uh, Thompson interviews then Bernstein in New York. He was old in the past, and the main question asked on every podcast that talks about Citizen Kane is, how is Bernstein still alive now? Because he was old back then. And he's still clutching on. I, I Jokingly or not, I would assume that he looks old and he's just outliving everyone because he's like, he... He... He's made just as much money as the rest of them, yeah. but he's, like, not a bad person, he, so he's he not going He stayed gonna... out of the drama. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. Yeah. So it's probably kept him unironically healthier. Mm-hmm. But it... Well, we see how it ages Kane quickly, yes. too. Uh, was Rose but a girl was asked. Bernstein describes a lady in a white dress. Funny little things we remember. I always kind of remember that monologue. It sticks with me. How, like, the little things in your life that you don't even consider like stick with you for some reason yeah and that in that case he was like oh yeah like 17 years ago i was like on a ferry from new jersey Mm -hmm. and i saw a girl in a white dress with a white parasol and i think about her like once a month Mm -hmm. but you know so it could just as easily rosebud could be that it could be like a romanticized uh thing because you know you never know what a person chooses to remember and he's almost on the nose right there too so maybe he did know kane the best Probably, yeah. And he seems to be in, like, the best predicament for him. Like, he's wealthy, he's successful, he doesn't really have any enemies that we know of. No, he seems, he seems like, well-adjusted mm-hmm. of all the, the Kane associates. Yeah, but he tells um, Jerry that you should go see Jedediah, Jeb, sorry, it's not Jebediah, it's Jedediah. With Leland, yeah. Uh, Leland, Kane's best friend. Uh, taking over the Inquirer is shown, uh, paid for opinions or hauling, so they, like, show up. I love this little number they do. They show up in, like, a, a Beverly Hillbillies corral with all their furniture and stuff, and yeah. they kind of make a move on the newspaper. They just kick everyone out, put their furniture in, and say, like, oh, I'm living in your office now. Yeah, and that's the thing, is, like, it was, they walk into the, 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 like, the existing office of this Inquirer newspaper, and it's, like, all really old guys. Mm -hmm. And the one who I think is, like, the existing editor or publisher prior to Kane buying them, like, can't hear what anyone... Like, he confuses Leland for Kane. He's Mm -hmm. like, oh, blah, blah. Like, are we... I thought it would be a gentlemanly thing if we all stood up Mm -hmm. and not do anything, but we're all going to stand for you to, like, salute you. Mm -hmm. And then it's... Kane's like, all right, I'm going to live in your office now. Um, it's a daily newspaper. We're going to report on scandal because that's what we need. And we're going to run 24 hours because the news happens 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to take any breaks. And then he's like, oh, I heard about this murder charge. Get someone down there to report on it. I want like, it's like trashy, but it does sell. Yeah. And honesty. And he he's only for honesty and for the truth. Uh, remember that declaration of principles that will come into play. He writes a declaration with Leland and um, Bernstein. 
it's like for the first issue that he's putting out under his ownership and he's rearranged the front page like four times mm-hmm. and he's like it needs it needs some extra spice so i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna add in a declaration of principles to mm. always tell the truth and it's like that'll get people talking yeah, it's like, a mystery mask a tool that'll help us later on in the film yeah really in one of the biggest jonathan dan because because <laughs> leland revenge plots because notably leland keeps it yeah, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold on. This, to this feels important, like the Declaration yeah. of Independence. Yeah, mm. um, all the boys sign it. Jedediah keeps the important paper, and the Enquirer circulates. After six years, a huge success. We get great transition where we see the old men at like the newspaper in a frame, mm-hmm. and then Kane walks into that frame, and they're like at their circulation party. Yeah, because he bought out the. I think it was the uh, like the courier's entire like uh, they had like the most elite, well respected writers in in mm-hmm. in the country, and then he just buys them yeah. all. Like oh, it took them twenty five years to assemble that news crew. Mm-hmm. It'll take me a week. Yep, we get all this banter. Uh, Kane is measuring feelings about the Spanish American War. He never really reveals if he's for it or against it. It's just whatever sells the most. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of playing laissez-faire there. But here it comes. We get the best part of the movie where we see Orson Welles get down with it. There is a man. A certain man. And yeah. his name is Daniel Ryan. And it's like, it's one of those like really awkward scenes where it's like, oh, I didn't have them write a song about me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you smoke a cigarette in this town and you got a song written about you. Again, it would have it would have had people guffawing back then. Yeah, but he, and they're all laughing. They're dying. They're like, ah. And, it, and it's like... No, none of the other people in this room ever get named besides Leland, uh, Bernstein, and Kane himself. Mm-hmm. So like they're just they're sycophant. Like there's like there's nobody else that's yeah. of value in there. Um, and then we get these Tiller girls filming in the background while the conversation happens in the foreground. We see Wells framed through the the window in different shots. We see him like talking and coming closer and further away from the camera. All incredible. Um, Wells is having some fun. Will fame, money, and power change Kane? Leland and Bernstein don't really know at this point. I think that yeah. Leland can sense something's going on, though, because he always seems a little bit more pessimistic or, you know, aware of how Kane might change, I feel. Yeah, and I would argue that Bernstein probably does, too. Mm-hmm. He, cause he just he, doesn't say it outright. Yeah, because there, there's, a, like, a moment late, like later on, uh, well, coming up, if, if anything, where mm-hmm. he's, like... He seems to be able to guess, like, the shit that Kane is going to do, but he's just more of, like, I'm going to go with it, because mm. it's, like, path of least resistance type thing. Yeah. So, Kane is coming back from his trip abroad with a girl, Emily Norton, who turns out to be the niece of the President of the United States. I'm sorry, one yeah. one added yeah. detail that adds a layer to this is that Leland, um, Jedediah Leland, his best friend, lifelong best friend, from what we can gather via context... Came from a family that was once rich, went completely bankrupt, had not a cent to their name mm-hmm. by the time Kane met uh, met Leland. Mm-hmm. And as Kane got successively kicked out of boarding schools and colleges throughout his life, he seemingly used his money to bring Leland along with him mm-hmm. to each of those places that he'd like transferred to. So Leland has been like his, like he's literally been like. Like, Leland, uh, Kane has been using his power and influence to bring him along yeah. as his best yeah, friend. Yeah, he's riding his coattails. And it's like, um, you know, and get him, a jo- like, give him, like, the dr- yeah. uh, the dramatic uh, culture reviewer yeah. job that, that he wants. And it's like, uh, 
that dynamic exists between them is like i'm mm-hmm. i'm still the rich guy yeah. in this relationship you're the poor friend mm-hmm. so it's yeah yeah you can tell that yep uh, so Kane comes back with Emily Norton, niece of the President of the United States, and he's not only collecting statues, Dan. He's not. He's a collective woman. Woman who collects diamonds. Yeah. Kane comes in flustered. He's already engaged. He has a mustache. Uh, quick, Mr. Kane. <laughs> You're very quick. Yeah. Um, before he's through, uh, she'll be president. <laughs> he's dating a president. Before she, like, he they, they say something like, oh, he's dating a president... She's dated... Oh my god, I forget the, what they're saying. The niece of the president the, of the... They say that, but then they're like, before he's done with her, she'll be dating a president. Just yeah, in period. Yeah, the president yeah. of the United States. And I, I was like, oh, that's a very cool... Or she'll be a president's wife. Yes. Which was kind of cool. Um, uh, Emily and Kane's relationship was not good, apparently. It ended, then came Susie. That ended too. Maybe Rosebud was something he lost, says Bernstein, in the current timeline that we're watching yeah. of Jerry interviewing. So then Jerry's next stop is to this NYC hospital retirement home thing that's very creepy, if you like think about it. is just sitting with these old men sunbathing in these wheelchairs. And I feel, well, yeah, he's sunbathing with, he's just like out on like the open air mm-hmm. pavilion because he, he smokes yeah. and we assume that he's in treatment for like rehab or something. Yeah. yeah. Cause they keeps, cause he's like obviously trying to hide cigars and in the forties, I'm pretty sure you could smoke in hospitals <laughs> anyway. So that's I mean, not, yeah. so I'm assuming that he's in there for like lung think cancer. He is a Nancy? <laughs> um, but he's like. You know, he's he's like, he keeps repeating, like, oh, I got fancy cigars. But mm-hmm. I think this was something our film teacher pointed out. The hospital is, like, underneath the, like, Brooklyn Bridge, mm. I think. It could be. It's, like, uh, it's underneath, like, a, a road bridge. Yeah. So it's, like, this is where he's ended up. He's literally, like, under mm-hmm. the scenery of this huge city. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's forgotten, you know? He doesn't have anyone yeah. that's close to him. His best friend is gone. Um, but... He pays him a visit, and then we learn that Charles Kane was his own hero, but his greatest rival. Uh, we could talk about Emily. She was nice, but she didn't know what she was getting into. We get this brilliant scene where uh, Kane and Emily are originally starting like their marriage at a small um, breakfast table, mm-hmm. and the scene at you know every film student knows what we're gonna say already because it's been talked to death. But it's a very effective thing. Like as the relationship drifts apart. And these montages keep going. We see them not only become bitter, but the breakfast table expand into yep. this huge thing. Where they're bigger tables. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. It's very theatrical. Like cool, cool, cool idea from Mr. Wells. Um, even Emily's relation to the president doesn't stop Kane from his own ideas. Like he refuses to be like, "Oh, it will look bad for the president of the United States," and he's like, "Oh, Uncle Joe or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna worry about him." Yeah, um, he doesn't intimidate me. Uh, they have a son who. I don't even know if he gets a name. It's like Junior. So, so I guess Charles. Yeah, just, it's just Charles Junior. Yeah. yeah. Uh, people will think what I tell them to think. Iconic line. Yeah. Um, wasn't he in love? He wanted to be loved. Um, that's when he met Susan. And this is the scene that I remember from our film class. Yes. Because it got like reactions from us as like intrigue and finoodling. Mm-hmm. Even back in the day, Susan is coming out of like the corner store. Uh, that we just saw in Mad Monster Party with yeah. a toothache. Yeah, with a toothache. Yeah, and we see here off screen a splash. She walks, and Kane comes into frame. He's covered in mud, and she's just like, "Oh, I don't mean to laugh. I have a toothache." And these two seem to hit it off. You could tell that Kane, despite all his money and power and stuff, kind of has like simpler 
ideas. He's and he seems happier when she doesn't know who he is. Yeah, that like too. it's like a brief moment of happiness for him is like you know. You, you so you don't know what I do like oh yeah I own a few newspapers blah 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 what do you do yeah. like yeah yeah uh, you want some hot water <laughs> yeah you want that some means, hot water that means sex <laughs> uh, but but he goes back up to her with to like the room of her boarding house yeah and there's this stupid sexual tension where they're playing with shadow puppets on the wall yeah what is it? it's King K rule it's yeah. a giraffe um and eventually like he gets it out of her that she. Yeah, you know, it was an amateur singer. Mm-hmm. Like her, like her mom taught her how to sing. No, her mom wanted her to sing. Wanted her to sing. Stage mom, very there. But yeah. she realized, like, oh, that's not my life. So I'm kind of trying to figure out. But then, you know, Kane shows some kindness, or maybe it's him just trying to get, you know, get her. Yeah. But it comes across in the scene, like, oh, you're more talented than you might think if you just try it and practice. Yeah. You so she she plays for him in the in the parlor. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parlor. And he's like sitting there. Presumably enraptured with it for like hours. Mm-hmm. And these the other boarders must be like pretty pissed. Yeah. It's four o'clock in the morning. What are those two jugheads doing recording a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> but I've said too much. I've said too much. Um, um, so then, uh, cute scene. As she, and Kane is seen running for governor of New York. Yeah, we get the big famous rally scene mm-hmm. at Ooh. Madison Square Garden. Uh, pretty sure he's a shoe in. He's like getting the crowd in a, a thrall. Yeah. Everyone loves him. His face is plastered. He's being witty in his speech. He's making them laugh, making them gasp. You know, no, and he's feel. he's doing like uh, he's doing like a lot of stock like salt of the earth man mm-hmm. politician lines. Like I'm not going to make any promises because I'm too busy thinking of how to keep all the promises I'm going to make. Like yeah. stuff like that. And he's he's railing against Boss Jim Gettys, who is the Presumably the... The stand-in ex- from Gangs of New York. Yes. It's literally him. It is, yeah. 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 It's like the, the like the political machine. He's like the established, almost definitely corrupt politician who has pre- like previously controlled the city. So, mm-hmm. uh, But uh, Boston Gettys ha- is his rival. Emily insists that night that Kane, t- to Kane that they take a private car home and stop at this... Address that turns out to be Susan's address. It's so. probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm. Is the part in the car where Emily like takes out the the little piece the of note, paper, like, yeah. "You want to go call him with me to yeah. this address? I'm gonna go with or without you." It's like a fucking early noir. Yeah, like, it is. It's it, crazy. I just like that. That moment always stands out the most to me. Mm-hmm. Like, be it, you know, like you you can feel like, oh shit, like what's what's about that? But it's like mm-hmm. though the way she. The actress plays that moment mm-hmm. is is just is amazing because yeah. she's just like it could be nothing, but could be nothing. We're going. We're gonna go find out if mm-hmm. it is nothing. Mm-hmm. How about that? And he's like, yeah. And she doesn't freak <laughs> out. She doesn't yell. She doesn't cry. She's like, it's gonna be what it's gonna be. Yeah. Like our relationship is on the rocks anyway. Yeah. Um, I want to find out the truth. So they turn up to Susan's digs. The other woman starts playing, and Susan is forced has been forced into blackmail by Gettys. Yeah. To just, you know, make sure Kane doesn't win this election. Yeah, like, specific, like Gettys strong-armed her into writing, like, a threatening letter to Emily. Like, I'm going to expose this affair and your child won't be safe, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously not in character for Susan, but for Gettys, yeah. Charles makes an interesting decision to stay with Susan. I guess he thought that Emily's relationship was over. Mm-hmm. And he's not really that father figure because he does leave his child. Never mentioned again. I don't know how soon after they died. Yeah. But, you know, he makes that decision. Well, and Getty, Jim Gettys is there in this scene, yeah. and you get the, the sense that, that 
Gain is like doing all of this out of pride. Mm-hmm. Like because like, even Gettys is like, if I were you, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, like like because because the the ultimatum that he is given is to either like say that he's coming down with some sickness and he's going to have to retire from the campaign trail, or this is all going to be exposed to the media, like all of the media besides Kane's paper. And Kane is seemingly like, I'm not going to be told what to do by any of you people, like mm-hmm. including his own wife. Like I'm not. You and him are conspiring to take me down because you want to, like, hold me back or so, like, because you don't want any of this to be solved. And Mm -hmm. it's like, that's how he's justifying it to himself. Yeah. Uh, Kane decides his own destiny. Emily leaves and Kane screams at Getty, Sang Sang! Sang Sang! Yeah. Uh, but while shooting this scene in which Kane shouts at Gettys on the stairs of Susan Alexander's apartment building, Wells fell 10 feet. An x-ray revealed two bone chips in his ankle. He had to direct from a wheelchair for two weeks during that scene. So, you know, not the last time he'll be injured on this set either. There's another one coming up. Just thought I would point that out, that mm-hmm. he fell 10 feet down those stairs. Because he, you know, Orson Welles, he loved to live in the moment. Yeah. While acting, uh, Kane's scandal is published in the paper. All the celebrations are canceled, and Kane loses in a landslide. Another great scene where him and Jedediah confront each other, drunk at the news office with all like the streamers and shit all over, mm-hmm. all the Kane posters plastered on every wall, and they're just like, you know, where do we go from here at this point? Like, they're kind of debating like, are they good or bad men? Like, especially in Kane yeah. in question. And that's when this is when Leland brings up the things like, okay, you're. You're, I don't think you are for the common people. You just want people to give you credit for giving them something that's already theirs so that they'll love you and they'll, like, admire you. But it's like you're not thinking of... And this is the part where Leland dips into, like, actual socialism where he's like, someday there's going... You know, when all the, the actual working people get together, they're mm-hmm. going to cause trouble for people like you. And, and like, Kane just kind of brushes it off like, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm for the... For the people, yeah. etc. Yeah, and Kane says he's moving to Chicago. Running? I don't know if he's running. You know, away from his problems, yeah. maybe. It, or yeah. at, least, at the very least, to get away from Kane. Yeah, yeah. To get space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Kane marries Susan in Trenton, New Jersey, and the reporters ask, "Like, aren't you a singer? Like, are you going to sing in the Metropolitan Opera?" And she's like, "No. If I don't, he said he's going to buy me my own opera house." And then that dramatic. Yeah. Immediately fades yeah. in. Kane builds Opera, opera House. <laughs> Love it. And Susan is immediately on stage. She has a flop, but this opera scene is my favorite scene in the movie, mm-hmm. as is because it's filmed from, you know, her perspective looking out of the audience, getting ready, the chaos of backstage. Like, it is stressful. Yeah. The curtain rising, her not knowing, like, an actor's worst nightmare is not being prepared for the role that you're going on for yeah. in this huge new opera house. And uh, not being successful at it. Yeah. So, you know, it is extremely stressful, is the word to describe it. That That's what I would use. But it kind of... She sings, and the camera pans up, and there's, like, two stagehands yeah. way yeah. above. Mm-hmm. In the miniatures, like, we see the miniatures of the flies up there. And they're just, like, they look to each other and do, like, a PU yeah. motion. Silently. Beautiful. We don't even need words to describe what's going on. Um, but... It's opening night, and Kane has kind of bribed or used his power to give every newspaper to give uh, Susan a favorable review. Yeah. Despite not being well, except for Jedediah, who refuses. Um, uh, not Leland, B. Bernstein is mm-hmm. like, oh, he's writing his review in the office. Um, and it turns out he's passed out drunk. He didn't get to finish it. Yeah. He only got a few sentences in. He was going back and forth between himself, like, can I write a bad review? 
for my friend or the person that's given me all this in life, but can I still hold up to my tenants that I yeah that I proposed to myself? So and I it's this is a pretty cool series of scene because mm-hmm. Orson's fucking he's acting and he comes in yeah. from the opera show. He knows how much it sucks. Mm-hmm. He's like despondent, like yeah. he's not engaging with anything around him. He's just like yeah, did you? Did you have the the cover story in the in the theater magazine, like whatever? Mm-hmm. And he keeps walking, and you can just see how pissed he is. Yeah, and he just like, and then we get the scene that ensues. So, mm-hmm. so, um, well, you know, he wakes up the next day, and is Kane there, like offering him like a drink or something like that? Like, there's something like he wakes up and he's like smoking a cigar. So I don't know if he wrote oh, that Bernstein review. Bernstein did. So, oh, cigar. Kane is finishing this the, finishing the review it, yeah. for him, and it's a bad review. Yeah, well, because uh, Leland only got, like, a couple sentences in mm-hmm. of, like, negativity, and then Kane's like, like, give it to me, I'm gonna finish it. Yeah. And he's still out there when Leland wakes up. So in the present, Thompson goes back to interview Susan again. She's still drinking, but she's more receptive to talk about Kane. Uh, she says that Kane only built the opera house to show off what he married, and she felt like she was caged and trapped there. It was extremely stressful for her yeah. to be, you know on stage every night and ill-prepared i there was one there was one other line from leland like about why this whole opera house thing ensued and it was like oh because the papers said that kane has an affair with quote-unquote singer yeah and he's like he wanted to remove the quotes yeah i'm going to like he's going to rewrite history like she is an actual singer see Mm -hmm. like and that was literally the drive for all of this we get this rehearsal scene with her and her maestro trying to go through it and she can't like sing it she doesn't have the range to do so yeah um but kane is there yet again standing silently in the background like i don't pay you to tell her that she's bad it's your job to help her get better or i'll destroy you yeah like you know you can like your fellow musician or your fellow like music teachers or instructors or like opera uh, you know mm-hmm. people will may not like you but i can do worse to you yeah. with my you know businesses so yeah. so kane uh proceeds to this opera house with susan still on stage going through the same like rotation of things and it's another like critic night uh we see people like tearing at their programs and stuff not paying attention to what's going on stage it seems very boring bernstein is asleep yep to yeah. them as time goes by and then like it was obviously a flop because the applause is very minimal it dies down but kane gets up in that famous gift scene of him clapping. And him starting the clapping and manically clapping which long is, after. Which is like for when she's, because she's like fumbling with the... The flowers, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. at, at the end. And so it's like, he's like, oh, he wants to see... You think that it's because you like he wants to like his wife to see that he's clapping. Mm-hmm. But it's clearly to get the rest of the crowd to like pretend that mm-hmm. this was a success. Yeah. Um, so Kane doesn't leave. Um, hold on. Susan flips out. Um, she finds out that Leland wrote a bad review mm-hmm. and that Kane gave him money even though he fired him. Yeah. Gave him like $25,000, $10,000 or something like that. Yeah, it's 25, yeah. I think. 25. Yeah. And was like, oh, you still pay him and like, I don't want to see him. He's supposed to be your friend. And then in the move of all moves, Leland sends the, like, the tenants that they wrote with the ripped up check. Yeah. Yeah. And this pisses Kane off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's very mad. Um, and in that regard, she's like nagging him. is like, I'm not going to sing. I don't want to sing. You're not going to sing. And he's like, you will sing. Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to make a fool out of me. So, mm-hmm. And she does so. She tours the country. She's on the front page because, of course, Kane runs the papers. 
And she goes through it, goes through it, and then she, you know, attempts suicide one night. She takes a little bit too much of her prescription and almost dies. But then, you know, we get Kane as this inhuman person, but he doesn't leave her bedside. So I don't know if he's putting up the show of being, like, a husband, but... This is one of those second viewing things. I You could make the argument that maybe he... Some of it could be a show because the doctor insists mm-hmm. that, like, a nurse stay there. Yeah. And maybe he's just putting upon himself, like... Because at this point, like, people kind of know who Kane is, and he's like... He comes into the room, he's like, oh, she... The doctor gave her her prescription in a big bottle last mm-hmm. time, so she got confused and took too much medicine. Mm-hmm. And the doctor's like, sure, that's, yeah. yeah, that's what happened, Mr. Kane. I'm going to have the nurse state. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you can see people yeah. kind of get what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Susan wakes up and she apologizes. She's like, I didn't mean to like do that to you, but I'm just so tired and I don't want to sing anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they're like, you know, we're just going to move away from all this then. We're going to go to Florida. We're going to build this pleasure palace. And, and we're going to live out of the public eye. And you think he's not going to mm-hmm. to, to, to acquiesce to that for a second. Because he's like, when she's like, oh, like, the critics, like, every, like, the entire world does not want me on that stage. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, that's when you fight back. Yeah. And then pause. No, you're right. We're going mm-hmm. to, we're going to get away from this. Mm-hmm. And then he starts to decline, like, after that point. Mm -hmm. Like, he starts to lose himself. Um, So they build Xanadu, and it's got tons of halls. I don't know where we can find the bathroom in this place. (laughs) You know, it's like Yarnum. Mm -hmm. It's a Painhurst castle. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Susan is just taking the time. They're screaming at each other from across the rooms, like, what did you say? She's making puzzles. Yeah. Tons and tons of puzzles, Dan. And that's all she can do, because it's like, there's no... There's no nightlife, there's no clubs or restaurants or anything. It's literally just, presumably Kane is just paying other rich people to, to come, come over and mm-hmm. be guests. Yeah. And they have, like, quote-unquote camping trips where they go to, like, the beachfront portion mm-hmm. of this fortress yeah. and camp, like, stay in... They bring musicians and stuff. Uh, and Glamping, yeah. and then... They come back. Uh, but Susan has had enough after one of these camping trips, and then Kane slaps her... And he isn't sorry. Like, yeah. You know, Susan leaves and Kane freaks out because she's like, well, she just leaves and he's like, I can change. Don't leave me because everyone walks out on me. Because there's a moment where you think he's going to win her. Like, he's going to make a genuine like plea to get her back. He's like, I can change from now on. I will only do things because I know they make you happy, not because I think they will. But then he's like so you don't have to do this to me mm-hmm. and she's like oh, doing it to you this is you're the one who's having something done to them here yeah. not me yeah um so thompson is back in the present uh with susan and she's like uh she seems in a better place than she was because the morning has come she seems like not as sad mm-hmm like talking it through helped her and then she's like oh well why don't you come back and tell me about your life sometime mm-hmm. so you know there there's a little bit of a hope for her yeah there that she'll move on from this um at xanadu and she goes oh you have to interview his butler raymond yes he would be able to tell you what rosebud was if mm-hmm. anyone would because he was always there um at xanadu uh thompson interviews raymond kane's butler and this fucking cockatiel always scares the fucking crap out of me and i know it's in there because I think Kane was like, we put it in there because 
it's near the end of the movie, and he wanted the audience to pay attention. Yeah, to wake him up. Yeah, to the last scene. Yeah, and in this case, it did work. So. Oh God, it gets me. I know when it's coming, and it's still fucking horrifying. Um, but Cain flips out on Susan walking out, and this is actually Wells flipping out in the scene, dismantling his own set. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Uh, the special contact lenses Wells used to look elderly proved very painful, and a doctor was employed to place them into Wells's eyes while filming. Uh, Wells had difficulty seeing when wearing them, which caused him to badly cut his wrist when shooting the scene in which Kane breaks up the furniture in Susan's bedroom. Okay. Yeah. So it didn't stop him, but yeah, because he, well, he he, he just, goes he, through it. Yeah. yeah, he throws his arms into the furniture. Yeah. And so yeah, truly yeah. angry, just a yeah. massive man destroying all these little tchotchkes until he comes upon the snow. Yeah, the snow globe that Susan had had on her, like, vanity table the Which, first night. as Grant there. pointed out, was there, yeah. Yeah. That I didn't notice either. Yeah, so it was like, again, one moment of happiness. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about his past, his childhood past, that house in the snow, Dan. Um, but uh, he picks up the snow globe, we see his entire staff is there, and he kind of just dissociates and goes through the halls of mirrors. And he says Rosebud, he out says loud. Rosebud, yeah. And um, then he presumably dies, and our story catches up with each other again. Yeah, and it's kind of like Raymond is very confident that he has the answer to this mystery. He's, like, smoking the whole time. He's mm-hmm. like, like, uh, yeah, no, I would have known him better than anyone. I heard him say Rosebud once or twice. I think it was, like, his insanity near the end combined with, like, um, he, sa- he speculates it's something. Uh, mm. I, forget, I forget what he thinks it is. It's okay. But yeah, but he's like, oh yeah, no, it was, it was, it was probably just like some rambling thing that he latched onto, mm. and then it was, you know, cry of a madman. Yeah, and like everyone's going through these possessions, like where do you get all these statues from? Look, I found a puzzle. We got lots of them. Can you guys come down here? And just how big this space is, full of tchotchkes, but things can't buy happiness, I guess. No, and this is one of those things where, in terms of like stylized scenes, mm-hmm. this is like, this is like the fucking. Uh, Raiders of the Lost yeah, Ark yeah. warehouse yeah. on like steroids. Mm-hmm. It is it is a cartoonish, just gargantuan amount of shit in mm-hmm. crates, like an like an ocean. Yeah, and I I I I'm guessing that's miniatures, but it's like it a, could be yeah. It you know maybe miniatures with like some like shot duplication or something, but it's like it it conveys the just the amount of crap inside this house. Yeah. And everyone's talking to Jerry, like, you know, what were you researching this whole time? Did you find Rosebud? And he's like, no, I don't think anyone's going to find Rosebud. And someone's like, oh, well, you know, I think if you found it, it'd be that missing puzzle piece that would bring everything together. And he's like, oh, I don't really know what Rosebud is as a concept. Yeah. But I don't think anyone thing can define that man's life. Yeah. Can you sum up a person, like, by, like, one phrase? And it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like... Maybe he's coping with the fact that he didn't get the yeah, sto- story. Yeah, it kind and... of is, yeah, summed up by that one phrase. Yeah. And well, at least what he was longing for in the yes. moment. So it does answer that question. I mean, it doesn't define his life, but... Yeah. I think it definitely defines what he wanted in the end. Yeah. Mm. Well, because the shot, you know, keep <laughs> Famous shot. pans out, yeah. and it's uh, in, the, in the piles of crap. There is his childhood sled, and it's it's got rosebud on it. Mm-hmm. And the workers toss it into the fire. Yeah. Because they're burning just all the excess non-art pieces mm-hmm. that are in the house. Um, and this is always like a weird second view. This was this was probably like a second viewing thing. But it's like um, there was a line earlier in the movie. The night that he met Susan, he was going to like 
like the estate yeah. sale yeah. of his mom because his mm-hmm. mom's stuff was moved into a ha- like a moved into a warehouse yeah. after his after her death, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, I'm gonna go. I intended to come here and sort through it and find something. Mm-hmm. So was he looking for that the whole time? But he like trailed off, and then mm-hmm. the whole Susan saga began yeah. before he answered that. So it could have been that he it was in there. He didn't notice. Mm. It was like just moved with the rest of his belongings to different places yeah. or maybe he did find it and put it back in there but hmm? i would assume the uh the former that it was like he, he, he didn't even notice that it was in there yeah so. and thus ends our story uh final thoughts on this i this rewatch there were a lot of things to notice especially when i have other eyes looking at the film with me um it's a good i wouldn't say a christmas watch holiday watch yeah. Anytime there's, like, oh, there's, like, there's, yeah. there's snow. Yeah, there's snow at some point. There's a snow globe, mm-hmm. at least. Uh, I liked... I just like how they do each character that isn't Kane. They make them their own human as well. Like, yeah. all the people getting interviewed. Like, it's very Rashomon. They have their own side of the story, which ties up neatly into Kane's perspective. It feels like they're all telling their own truth. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Like, no one's making themselves seem like the best person in that scenario. Yeah. It's they candid all seem, conversation. Yeah, they all seem to, like, intertwine with each other nicely. Except for Kane, who doesn't get to tell his own perspective. Yeah. So, it True. leaves him up to the audience, whether he's good or bad. Um, majorly. I just really like the look of it. Yeah. I think it's, like, one of those things. It has, like, it has a very, very unique look to it. Mm. Which, at times, is, like... I think sometimes without the certain set pieces and the way that they're stylized the way they are, people, I don't know, maybe people might enjoy it mm. slightly less. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it adds something to this movie that, because, you know, you can tell like a like a rags to riches, rich, you know, wealth corrupting someone's story, but you got you layer it with this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like it stands out. Yeah. It, this stood out just enough. That it makes it what it is. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so great film. Thank you for joining me as always. It's late. Uh, I guess we'll see the another film of this like next holiday season. Mm-hmm. We've learned our lesson. Hopefully there'll be more people around this table again. Yeah. It's a mad, 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 Hey, mad, but that Rankin Bass special, party. though, <laughs> is going to be oof, the cherry on the cake. Uh, but this was intellectual. I like that. Mm-hmm. Good way. So you have work in a few hours. Let's get you out of here. But before we go... <laughs> Where can our ones find us, Dan? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at King underscore Danis. Yeah. And then our adjacent anime was not a mistake uh, Facebook and Instagram pages. Yeah, and you can find me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram, uh, Drink and Read JK on Twitter and the TikTok. We're Losing My Mind JK on TikTok. I always forget. And if you like my voice and hearing my opinions and such, check out my other podcasts, including Nightcaps at the Theater, where I take a look at some movies and get a little drizzy drunk while doing so. And if you like classic literature, check out Drink and Read. And uh, in lieu... We've got some anime to finish we before we get on to our Sinister Sixes, which have been bubbling and brewing, so mm-hmm. I'm excited for them nonetheless. But we've got one more uh, section, four more episodes of Orin High School Host Club to get to this Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we'll be putting it out around then, yeah. figure out the time frame. And then again, we'll we'll have some time to kill, um, even with Sinister Six before our special. 2 Hundo. Yeah. Um, Gotta figure out what we're doing. I did promise Stardust Crusaders next, that mm-hmm. is happening, but mm-hmm. in the... Uh, fill up filler section <laughs> prior to 200. I got some, I got some hopefully interesting stuff that I want to bring to the table. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens, yeah. good or bad. Yeah, so. You decide. <laughs> yeah, you're covered in mud, but I can get you some hot water. I can fix that right up. Uh, hey, uh, Frinkle, where are those pills? <laughs> <laughs>
Here at Anime Was Not a Mistake, we have one mission. Whether you be a magical girl, a giant fighting robot, a raccoon, or just a fan of podcasts in general, we hope to one day arrive at a definitive answer to the following question. Is anime a mistake? While we obviously don't think so, there's no harm in expanding our weave horizons now, is there? As of late, our humble little show is devoted to the analysis and discussion of movies, series, and episodes that show off that powerful art that is animation. However, none of this would be possible without listeners like you. If you like what you hear on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more, then why not support us on Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake Podcast, or on Facebook at Anime Was Not a Mistake Pod. We promise to go halfies on the sake with you. Join us, won't you? This time and the next. And with that, Dan and I leave you with a to-be-continued as the chill anime beats play. Sayonara!